That's the kind of energy we need this morning. <laughs> no one does that while I'm preaching, so take some notes there. Speaking of how awesome our God is, the most mind-boggling explosion that you can imagine doesn't come close to what the universe can actually create. When stars that are 150 times the size of our sun explode, they create more energy and more light in a few seconds then our star will create in its entire lifetime of 10 billion years. That's about the same amount of energy, and I'm not making this number up, as 10 trillion trillion billion megaton bombs. I copied and pasted that from a scientific article. That's the number they gave me. These explosions, they generate beams of high energy radiation that's called gamma ray bursts, GRBs. They're considered by astronomers to be the most powerful thing in the universe. There's no tangible way that we can conceive such amount of energy in the human imagination. And yet, and yet, we have access to something far more powerful, and we may not even realize it yet. And that's what I want to talk about today. In fact, the Apostle Paul is very aware of that power, and he's going to illuminate it to the church in the ancient city of Corinth, through this letter that we call 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 today. I encourage you to pull out your Bible and to read along with us. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in the pew around you, or you can kind of look around and somebody will hand one up. And I do want to make this disclaimer before I move on. If you don't have a Bible to go home with you today, if you don't have a Bible at your home that you can read throughout this week, please, please, please come and find me after worship today, and I will make sure there is one in your hands before you leave. It is so important that we are in God's Word every single day, and we can't do that if we don't have a Bible in the first place. So be sure to come talk to me if you need one this morning. Okay, so in order to fully appreciate what is happening in chapter 9, we need to reflect and think about what happened in chapter 8. So in that chapter, Tracy talked about the strong in Corinth, and Paul saying that the strong in faith should be willing to give up some of their uh, authority or privileges for the weak in the faith. Paul uses himself as an example of this when it comes to meat. He says, I could eat meat, I enjoy eating meat, but I choose not to eat meat so that my brothers and sisters in the faith will not fumble, won't fail in their own faith. Now, surely Paul, as an apostle, as the founder of this church in Corinth, he can do whatever he wants. He can establish what conduct looks like for this church, but Paul cares about the community. He values his church family, and he willingly submits his freedoms for the sake of others. Certainly a lesson many of us need on submitting our freedoms and our liberties for the sake of others. You know, we live in a time and age when my freedom, it supersedes the value that I put on the other. And so Paul's words here to the Corinthians, it's not just for them, it's going to also be for us. Paul highlights through chapter 8, today in chapter 9, here coming up in chapter 10, he's going to highlight the difference between having a right and exercising that right. Just because Paul chooses not to do certain things doesn't mean he lacks authority to do them. He just shows his willingness to submit them. 
for others. So if you're going to be reading along in chapter 9, we're going to actually start down in verse 19. Now, you might be wondering, well, what about the first 18 verses in chapter 9? Great question. That's an encouragement for you to join us on our live Facebook videos that we do, More Wild Talk, every Thursday, 7 o'clock on the church Facebook page. We don't have time up here to break down every single verse, so in that live video session, we talk about things we weren't able to talk about, we, uh, we expand on things happening in the culture, we try to make it more practical. You don't have to have a Facebook to watch those, um, but if you do have a Facebook, you, can, you can't watch it live, you can backlog and watch a saved version of it, but I encourage you to go watch those videos. All right, here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 19. Here's what Paul says to the church in Corinth. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Though not being myself under the law, I did it so that I might win those under the law. Here's the main idea for today's message. You win by, gr- not by growing up, sorry. You win, <laughs> you win by giving up. You win by giving up. You win by giving up your power. You win by giving up your comfort, your wealth, your pride. I mean, everything that Paul did was aimed, was focused on winning as many people as possible to the gospel. He overcame every cultural, ethical, political, ideological division that existed among people and brought them together under the umbrella of the person named Jesus. And I want to show you, in this verse right here, how far Paul went in that mindset. If you'll notice here, Paul says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew. Wait, 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 wait a second. I thought Paul was a Jew. And he is, and he was. In fact, he's the Jew of the Jews, or as he would say, the Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a radical Jew, what was called a zealot, who at the beginning of uh, the, the move of Christianity, he was actually trying to defend Judaism by persecuting Christians. He came from an Aramaic-speaking family that was Hebrews, his mom and his dad. He was hand-selected by the infamous Jewish rabbi Gamaliel. I mean, he was the Jew, Of all the people, he was the man, and he gave all of it up to become Jesus' man. And what I think we're supposed to see here is this is an identity shift for Paul. He's saying, I'm no longer a Jew. I'm no longer a Hebrew. Or as we might say, I'm no longer a Republican, or I'm no longer a liberal, or I'm no longer a millionaire, I'm no longer a white man, I'm no longer a black woman, I am Jesus's. I am Jesus's. And that identity, that is enough. That's enough. David Benner, he's a psychologist and author of this book called The Gift of Being Yourself. And he defines identity as who we experience ourselves to be, the I which each of us carries within. You know, oftentimes we are going to feel pressured to define ourselves by various different things. We'll define ourselves by our jobs, by our financial status, by our successes, by our grades, by our appearance, by what other people claim about us. 
But here's the question. What happens to our identity when we experience failure? What happens to our identity when we lose favor with somebody? What happens to our identity whenever we become burnt out in our job or our hobby? What happens to our identity when a, when a global pandemic hits and it paralyzes us? Well, you might have experienced that the very foundation of our identity, it's shaken, it's altered, and it results in us hustling to find and identify ourselves through someone or something once again. Like a stable sense of self cannot fully exist if we place our identity in external things. Because when our circumstances change, our identity will constantly be changing as well. And listen, you are going to be told to define yourselves by all types of external messages. That you need to smell a certain way. That you need to look a certain way. You need to dress a certain way. You need to taste certain things. You need to go on certain vacations. You need to act a certain way. But what if, what if our identity was solely based in God? Benner continues in his book, And he explores this and says, an identity grounded in God would mean that when we think of who we are, and just stop for a second, think about who you are. When we think of who we are, the first thing that would come to our mind is our status as somebody who is deeply loved by God. Paul models this identity shift for us. You know, the story of my life is not about who I think I am. The story of my life is who God says that I am. And it is only whenever Jesus is enough for you, it's only when Jesus is enough, that it's going to be so much easier to sacrifice your desires and your comforts and your privileges for the sake of somebody else. Because it's no longer what I need, it's no longer about what I desire. I'm just simply taking cues from my master. This uh, story might sound a little strange for people who've never heard it before, but it's a story in the Bible that is going to illuminate this idea a little bit more for us. So in the dramatic exodus from Egypt, in Exodus, the second book of your Bible, it simply means to exit. So the exit from Egypt from slavery, God delivers his people who he calls the Israelites And one of the very first things that God tells these now free people is that slaves deserve to be free. And he just showed it to them. (laughs) They deserve to be free, just like you deserve to be free. Now, first, before I move into the story, we have to think that slaves back then are very different than slaves are today. There's a different world, different context. However, slavery was something that you were indebted to somebody. So instead of like interest rates and getting, you know, getting people to come and bankruptcy and call and knock on your door, you worked for somebody. You owe somebody something, you work for them. But God said that nobody should have to work indefinitely. They should be able to pay off their debts. And I'm actually going to set in a safety net here. And there's this, this law established that somebody could pay off their debt, but after seven years of working, It doesn't matter if they're 90% of the way paid off or 0% paid off. After seven years, they are to go free. No matter what, they didn't earn it, they didn't deserve it, but guess what? God says, neither did you, and I delivered you. Now, here's the point of me telling you this story. 
regardless if this person paid off their debt or was set free after seven years, what was happening often was these people were going out into the world to try to establish themselves, and they realized, well, the world is a really cruel place. And actually, my master was very protective. I had a safe place to be. I enjoyed my work. I wanted to be there. He took care of me and my family. Whatever the circumstances, I don't know. But they had a desire to return and continue working for their master. And in fact, this was happening so often that God established this ritual of people who returned and wanted to continue to work, but also wanted to be free. And they would go to the door and they would actually have their ear pierced and a gold ring was put in their ear. And that ring, it symbolized that they're free, but they have willingly, out of a compulsion of love, returned to their master to continue to serve. That this is where they found their purpose and meaning. This is what they desired. And it's actually that story and that imagery of why we sing this song right here. My ear, O oh Lord, my God, take me to your door this day. I will serve no other God, Lord, I'm here to stay. out of a compulsion of love that we have submitted our lives to Jesus through the waters of baptism, symbolically piercing our ear, submitting our lives to him. And it is now out of a compulsion of love that we submit our lives to other people as well, sacrificing our comforts, our desires, our rights, our freedoms for the betterment of the community. Because why do we exist? Why does the church exist? Well, Paul said it, that I might win more of them. We exist for those who are not yet here. We want more of us, transformed versions of us, so that we can reach more of them. 
And this doesn't come from me or our leadership. It doesn't come even from Paul. This comes from Jesus. That the resurrected Lord, at the very last thing he told his disciples, was to go, therefore, and make more disciples. Go in an active sense. Go, therefore, as you are already going in your life. This isn't a special kind of person. It is all people in the way you live and make disciples. Well, how do I make disciples? Well, he says, go baptize them, pierce their ear in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Well, what is a disciple? Well, here's what you're going to teach them, to observe all that I have commanded to you. And here's my promise to you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We exist to be the unified body of Christ to quite literally love hell out of people's hearts, to share the transformative power that the gospel presents to us. And I want to tell you why this is so paramount in our culture today. The reason culture denies the message of Jesus out of hand is not because they deny his claims or even know his claims. Many people don't even know what Jesus talks about. But what I've heard from my non-believing friends is that there's this general sentiment in the air that when it comes to the message of the gospel, when it comes to Jesus, that we've already been there and done that. Like we truly live in a different world than Paul lived, where he's telling this and people have never heard this before. In our world, people have heard this message and they think, yeah, we've been there, we tried that, we did it, it failed. And in fact, many people believe that the Christian experience is a danger to society now. The gospel of Jesus is no longer seen as irrelevant, it's now seen as impotent, as powerless to make change in a human life. But that doesn't really align with my experience. Or the stories that I hear whenever I talk to people that are sitting in this room about what the power of the gospel actually can do. I told you at the beginning that you have access to the most powerful thing in the universe, something more powerful than gamma rays or supernovas. You have the gospel of Jesus Christ. It lives inside of you, and it's the power to not destroy all things, but to transform all things. And it takes something truly powerful to transform rather than destroy. The easy thing, the easy answer is to destroy. The hard answer is to change from within. The people around you, in your community, they need the gospel. They need you. They need your stories of transformation. Because I'll tell you what's happening in our culture. There's this rise of skepticism of Christianity that exists. We all see it. There's no question about it. But at the same time that the skepticism of Christianity is on the rise, there's something else on the rise as well, and it's this acceptance of the transcendent. Culture calls it spirituality. Like, spirituality is no longer seen as this abstract thing. It's a true, real lens to view the world through. And now scientists and astrophysicists, they're all starting to come to conclusions that, yeah, there very well could be some kind of higher dimension that we can't see. It's like all of the assuredness of the, the scientific field is beginning to show its cracks. And one of my, fa- my new favorite quotes, it comes from a former uh, scientist, planetary physicist, NASA employer, in his book, God and the Astronomers. He says this, for the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. 
He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He's about to conquer the highest peak. And as he pulls himself over that final rock, he's greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. So now, people in our culture are getting hungry. People all around us are getting hungry. What are people getting hungry for? For something real. Anything real. And that's why people are chasing authenticity with all of their strength, because people are searching for something that could actually change a human life, that actually has power. The world is not looking for a Band-Aid. The world is not looking for a hip church to attend. The world is not looking for Christians who can be social media influencers. The world is not looking to see if we can grow the church like we can grow a business. The world is hungry to know and see if there's any transformative power left in this world. And to return to our text, here's what Paul says, how we can tap into that transformative power. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, just to clarify, but I wanted to do that so I could win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, so I could win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Let me see if I can bring this the, all these ideas together in a very simple story, a personal story. When Darian and I were first engaged, we worked at a small church in Graz, Austria for three months. It was a summer uh, mission trip. And I didn't really have a job there besides just being there. Um, I just was observing what faith looked like in a different culture and a different context. <clears throat> After a couple of months of being there, we actually made friends with some people that weren't a part of the church. We had a language partner, got to know her. She had friends, and they had friends, and eventually we had this little community of young people, good people, but not Christians, and people who had never been raised in the church. So Fourth of July finally came on our calendar, and we wanted to immerse our Austrian friends in all of the luxuries of the American culture. So we made invitations, we made homemade Chick-fil-A nuggets, we uh, watched the movie Elf, we bought a big watermelon, and we played yard games. I mean, that's America summed up right there. <laughs> and we could only host them in the only place that we had access to in Austria, the church building. <laughs> so we had this big Fourth of July party for them, and they all came over, and we had this great time. But I'll never forget a very simple offhand sentence that one of the people told me there. He said, Peyton, Darian, you know, I've never been to church in my life. I've never been in a church in my life. But I've been with you guys, and it's been good. Seven years later, we are still giving church to those people. In fact, we talked to one of them yesterday through a phone call. We, we keep up with them, and we're giving them the church because we're giving them us. God is not looking for an all-star Christian, what we've built up on a platform. God is looking for the faithful. He is looking for those who are willing to sacrifice their freedoms 
for the sake of gospel effectiveness. You know, one of my favorite examples of this in the Bible is a young man named Timothy. So Timothy is this man on fire for the message of Jesus. And Paul begins to train him because they're going to co-evangelize together. They're going to go around, plant churches, and build them up. Here's the problem, though. While Timothy's on fire for Jesus, awesome, and his mother's a Hebrew, great, his father's a Greek. Now, that's not a problem to Paul, except that Timothy, now becoming a young man, isn't circumcised yet. Again, not a big deal for Paul, but a big deal for the Jewish community. And Paul knows that as he's co-evangelizing with Timothy, he's going to have to go into the heart of the Jewish community, the synagogue. And when he goes in there with Timothy not being circumcised, Timothy's going to have a hard time. He's not going to have a voice in that community. So just imagine the conversation. Hey, Timothy, um, I just want to know how serious you are about reaching people. Like, how serious are you about this thing? Oh, come on, Paul. Like, you know I'm serious. I would do anything. I get that. I get that, Timothy. But like, how, how serious are you? Paul, I, I would do anything great, let me go sharpen this knife real quick. <laughs> like, you know, Paul and Timothy and others like them, they seem to sacrifice so much because it's as if they tasted something they had never tasted before, and they lost taste to anything else. Like, what they tasted, it ruined them. It was so much better I mean, Paul had done the whole religious thing. He'd done the regulations. He'd done the obligations. He was in the highest of heights in the world, and then he tasted Jesus, and it was all over. He was ruined, and Paul got low. He got really low. He laid down his rights. He laid down his life. He was changed. He was transformed. And because of all that, he was free. He was free to love others in a new, transformed kind of way. To lay down his wants, his freedoms, for the prosperity of those around him. He was given all he needed in Jesus. All he needed was Jesus. And ever since that point, he was just there to love people into God's kingdom. And Paul gives his reason in verse 23. He says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. There's that word again, gospel. We probably need to know a little bit more about that word. We'll save that for a different sermon. But I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessing. If you hear anything this morning, I want you to hear this. The gospel, it comes with blessings. It's as simple as that. The gospel comes with with blessings. And it's that truth that Paul closes out our chapter this morning with a challenge of sacrifice and discipline. Here's what he says, starting in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you might obtain that prize. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. We've been watching the Olympics, so we understand this. They do it to receive this perishable wreath, but we do it for an imperishable. So I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air, but I, Paul, I discipline my body. I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. 
Several years ago, the Dukes men's basketball uh, team, they won back-to-back national championships. And there was this popular t-shirt on campus. On the front side, it says, you can talk the game, but can you play the game on it? And then on the back of the t-shirt, under the school's logo, was in bright, bold letters, we can play. We can play. And that's the challenge Paul poses to his readers and to himself. Rather than just talking about the gospel, we are called to pay the price of sacrifice and discipline in order to play the game rightly. And our price is not, our prize is not a perishable wreath that's handed out to people in the Olympic games of the time. But Paul is saying, if these athletes can push themselves to the limit of training, can push their bodies for a, a bunch of withered vegetables, how much more should we be willing to give up for the sake of an imperishable crown? We have access to the greatest power of the universe. It's not gamma rays, it's not supernovas. It's not the power to destroy, it's the power to transform. And we do it through the transformative power of the gospel. And it's the same power that your neighbors, your co-workers, your family members, your friends, this community that they need, but they also want. They desire. They want to experience. So the question to close us, who are you willing to be? What are you willing to give up to share that power with them? And your answer is hopefully the same as Paul's. Absolutely anything. Whatever it takes for gospel effectiveness. Let's pray as we close out. Father God, we come to you humbled, our hearts open, our souls hopefully poured and open to you right now. God, of the ways that we have been selfish, God, the ways that my heart has been hardened, that I'm always seeking something for myself or those around me, God, help me give it all to you. To be willing to be all things for all people. To sacrifice my hopes and my desires and my freedoms because I love those around me deeply. And God, it's so much easier, it's so much easier to give it all up whenever I've given it all to you. When I'm no longer holding tightly to the things that I've earned, but my hands are open to freely give and freely receive. God, you are our Savior. You are our hope. God, I pray we live a life that reflects that. We say this prayer in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.